Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Gary. I'm the youth pastor. Sorry for that long, awkward pause. (laughs) I was told pauses are better than hurrying through it. So now I hope you enjoyed Teen Takeover Sunday so far. It's been pretty cool, right? Yeah. We had teens uh, stationed as ushers, as greeters in the hub up here worshiping, doing announcements. And I'm telling you, the teens, when I told them we were doing the big church, they were all excited. They jumped on board. And uh, then I told them we were serving Mountain Dew in the hub. And it was like all out mayhem. They were, woo! They were excited. So I think it's so important, though, and as you see this morning, how kind of exciting and rejuvenating it is to our faith to see the teenagers, the young people, stepping up and serving God. And I... Yeah. And I think it's so important for our teens to be a part of the church, the big church, now. Not till they reach a certain age or until they graduate and then we'll let them in. You know, get them serving now, which we see, we see on a weekly basis, which is very cool. And I've got to tell you, I'm really excited to be able to preach the message this morning. Like Pastor Bill said, this is my first time preaching in the big church. And uh, so I'm excited. And I want to thank Pastor Bill, Pastor Brent, Pastor Ben for encouraging me to do it but also giving me the opportunity to do it. So I'm excited. And the thing is, is I'm not coming with a super deep theological message this morning. That's going to blow your mind. (laughs) I'm not coming with a message full of profound statements. There may be a couple in there. Um, No, really, honestly, this morning, I want to come with a message that's very similar to what I teach in youth group on a weekly basis. So you have an idea of what your teens are getting, kind of the teaching style and what they're learning on a weekly basis. And this message this morning has a few different things that we have discussed within the last couple months at youth group as well. So I hope you get something out of it. I hope God speaks through me, and I hope it's encouraging and challenging as well. And, you know, there's a lot of youth leaders that are here this morning, sitting here this morning. And as youth leaders, our hearts break for the teens. We love them. We know they're going through a lot of pressures. They have a lot going on. And growing up in this culture and environment is a very difficult time. So we love them, and we want to be there for them. And, you know, I didn't become a youth pastor simply because I get loads of Pepsi and pizza, which I get tons of that. That's part of my benefit package. (laughs) And not even because I get to throw a dodgeball at your kids, which is very satisfying sometimes. (laughs) The problem is, though, some of them throw them back harder. (laughs) And it's not even because I got the coolest office ever. I am really spoiled with that. Um... But, you know, I became a youth pastor, and youth leaders, we become youth leaders because we want to make a long-term investment in the body of Christ. Now, we do that by introducing our teens into a relationship with Jesus Christ, their Savior. Not into a religion, come be part of the EFCA faith church, but into a relationship with Jesus Christ and to know what he truly did for them to save them from their sins. We also want them to have a sticky faith. What I mean by that is that faith is going to stick with them. Even after they graduate and we say bye to them, we kick them out of the youth group. Even if they uh, move out of the house, head off to college or whatever, we want that to be a faith that they own. They get out on their own, and they're still going to have a passion to serve Jesus Christ, their Savior, who died for them. And that's what our youth group's kind of all about. I know we have a lot of fun things, floor hockey tournament over at the well, but it's really geared towards that, getting them introduced and and connected to their Heavenly Father. All right, well, this morning, we're going to talk about Joshua and the Battle of Jericho. Joshua chapter 6 is going to be our text. But before we dive right into our text, I'm going to briefly summarize kind of the backstory that's leading up to it. 
kind of give us the context so you guys have an idea of what is leading up to it before we dive into that. <clears throat> um, so most of us know that Moses was told by God that he will not enter the promised land. And that is simply because he disobeyed God. Moses disobeyed God, so God told him, you will not enter the promised land. So Joshua comes on the scene. Now, Joshua, it says, is a valiant warrior. He's kind of the Chuck Norris of the Israelites, right? He's the Chuck Norris. And he's the man that God says, you will take my people into the promised land. In fact, I am giving Jericho into your hand. So being the wise commander that, that Joshua is, he sends two spies into the city of Jericho. You know, send spies in, do a little bit of recon, Find out how fortified this city truly is because you've heard all the stories about the wall. We want to see what it's like. Lay out some strategies. See what, what we can do ahead of time to prepare to take over the city. Somehow, while the spies are in the city, the king of Jericho catches wind of this. Now, the king of Jericho has heard the stories about the Israelites and their great God. So he's fearful. He's afraid. And he sends men to pursue the spies and puts the city on lockdown. So the king's men look around for him. The spies know they're on, on, or being looked for. They end up at Rahab's house. Now, Rahab in scripture, we're told she was a harlot. But as a few weeks ago, Pastor Bill shared with us, she's actually, interestingly enough, in genealogy of Jesus. And she's also found in Hebrews in the hall of faith. But we're not exactly sure why, why they ended up at Rahab's house. Maybe because it was an inconspicuous place. Maybe just because it's located on the city wall, so it's an easy escape route. However, we do know that it was ordained by God for them to end up at Rahab's house. Well, the king's men hear that they're at Rahab's. And so when the men come over to Rahab, she hides them up on the roof and tells the king's men, the spies were here. It's true, but they already left. And you better catch them quickly before they exit the city. So the king's men take off to pursue them that way. The spies come down and have a conversation with Rahab. And she says, if you spare my life and my family's life, I spare yours. I, I just spared yours and I will continue to spare your life. And they agreed that when they return, they will spare her and her family's life. So the two spies end up escaping out the back window. They end up uh, going down the city wall and running back to meet up with Joshua and the Israelites. So the two men bring word back to Joshua and kind of, you know, let him know all the intelligence that they had gathered, right? How the people of, of Jericho were a little fearful and also how God ordained and put Rahab uh, perfectly placed where they were going to need somebody to help harbor them. And so he let them know all that, all the intelligence. And so they, they lodged there by the Jordan River. This is Joshua and the Israelites. And then God instructed Joshua, I want you to take the Ark of the Covenant, have the priest carry the Ark of the Covenant across the Jordan River. So after three days lodging by the Jordan, the priests pick up the Ark of the Covenant and they begin walking across the Jordan River. Now, as soon as their feet touched the water, the, wa the water, the stream dammed up on one side and it stood up like a wall, the wall of water, just like the parting of the Red Sea. And the Israelites and the priests holding the Ark of the Covenant were able to cross over on completely dry ground. Completely dry ground. Now, to signify and remember this miraculous act of God, God says, Joshua, I want you to take 12 stones out of the river, one for each tribe, and I want you to set them up as a stone of remembrance. And I want you to do this so that when children come by and they say, hey, hey, Dad, what's this stack of stones here for? 
Well, son, listen, God miraculously dried up the Jordan River so we could cross and carry the Ark of the Covenant across on completely dry ground. And he could reflect and remember on that great event. Well, it was probably about a month and a half ago now in youth group. Um, we talked about the stones of remembrance and we handed out little stones to each team. Now we gave them a little time to think about it, to think about what God's story in their life, that stone, every time they looked at it would, would signify what that God story was. So they all came up with some, some really cool things. And I hope they still hang on to those stones as well. But I think as adults, we should have the same idea. It doesn't have to necessarily be a stone, but something where we can say, we can look back and say, God, wow. Thank you so much for these blessings and this miraculous event that you did in my life. Well, now Joshua ch- chapter 5 uh, briefly summarizes where Joshua circumcised the rest of the Israelites who had not yet been circumcised. And now we arrive at our text this morning at Joshua chapter 6, verse 1. Now Jericho was tightly shut because of the sons of Israel. That's because the king feared them, right? The city was on lockdown. No one went out and no one came in. The Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and the valiant warriors. You shall march around the city, all the men of war circling the city once. You shall do so for six days. Also, seven priests shall carry seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. Then on the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times and the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall be that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people will go up, every man straight ahead. Now, I assume probably all of us have heard that story many times. We've probably all read that story many times, so it probably doesn't sound as crazy as it truly is. (laughs) However, if this is your first time ever hearing this, you're probably like, that's kind of crazy, right? That's a little bit of a strange war tactic right there. So I was interested. What other kind of bizarre or strange war tactics have been instructed for armies to do? So I have a few for you this morning. During World War II, the United Kingdom airdropped matchbooks over enemy lines. The matchbooks contained instructions on how a soldier could fake illnesses to get sent home. Well, once Nazi leadership caught wind of this, they stopped sending home troops who claimed to be ill. Not only did this trick end up getting healthy troops sent home, it eventually ended with genuinely sick soldiers being sent back into combat where they spread real disease among their ranks. All right, another one. On January 23rd, 1795, during the French Revolutionary Wars, a large number of Dutch warships were docked at Den Helder. Now, this is a port city in the Netherlands. It was a particularly cold winter, and rather suddenly the dock froze over and the ships were trapped. A French cavalry regiment saw this and decided that they would charge the ships. They wrapped cloth around the hoofs of the horses to soften their blow against the ice and charged the Dutch as they slept. They took every ship with no casualties. All right, lastly, one more. A famous Viking and later king of Norway, Harald Hardrada, pretended to die when injured during a siege. He came up with a plan to break the siege and enter the city. He had his men ask the city's leaders for permission to bury their leader inside the wall. Well, the city agreed, so long as they didn't bring weapons inside. So Harold climbed into a coffin in full armor and was carried through the gates. When the time was right, he burst out of his own coffin, fought his way back to the gates, opened them, and took the city. <laughs> Pretty cool. 
Okay, so there's a few bizarre war tactics, and still yet not even close to what Joshua is instructing the Israelite army to do. Imagine that for a minute. A commander of an army telling you, we're going to march around six days. Once a day, remain completely silent. Then on that seventh day, we're going to march around seven times, and we're going to blow the trumpet and shout. That's the order. (laughs) Strange way to do battle. And I imagine the people in Jericho were probably standing up on the city wall, pointing down like, what are they doing, right? This is kind of weird, maybe laughing. And then the Israelites are probably walking around with their heads down a little embarrassed. You know exactly what I'm talking about if you've ever seen the VeggieTale version of this, right? (laughs) I know everybody was thinking of it. (laughs) But at the same time, I'm sure it made them nervous. We know the king of Jericho was nervous. We know Rahab had faith. They had heard the stories of what their God had done. God had recently dried up the Jordan River for them to walk across with the Ark of God. God had uh, parted the Red Sea and then came crashing back down on the Egyptians and then all the plagues that were sent on the Egyptians as well. We serve a mighty God and they were a little afraid. Well, I remember when I used to be, it was probably about four or five years ago, I used to be a youth, uh, junior high youth leader over here in the youth building. Every Thursday night, try to come and a volunteer leader there. And oftentimes, I felt God tugging on my heart. Even at work or when I'd come to youth group, I felt God tugging on my heart. He said, Gary, I want you to be a youth pastor. I want you to be a youth pastor. It was over and over, and it was clearer than any instruction I've ever had in my life. <laughs> now, I knew the exact instructions, but I didn't obey them. I didn't think there was any way possible God could use me in that way. In fact, it was a bizarre tactic to me, very bizarre. And I didn't want to go through with it. So I came up with a lot of excuses of why I wouldn't do it. God, you've got the wrong guy. God, I am not a great speaker. I have no full-time ministry experience. And God, I don't wear skinny jeans. I can't be a youth pastor, right? (laughs) But maybe this morning, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. God tugging on your heart, telling you to do something that seems out of the ordinary. Maybe it even seems weird. Maybe, humanly speaking, it's it's not even really, I don't know, something that could come to fruition that we could see. Um, or maybe it's just something really uncomfortable. And you're not the type to stir things up and go out of your comfort zone. And believe me, I totally get that. But... It is so important for us to obey his instructions and follow through to the end. You know, if you feel God telling you to do something and that that whatever God is tugging you lines up biblically, then do it. Then do it. You know, we see all throughout scripture where men obeyed God's instructions to a point. They obeyed them. They may have stopped there. Or maybe they skipped over a few instructions. And it cost them dearly. Cost them dearly. One example is in 1 Samuel. I did 1 Samuel since we're all very familiar with it. Thanks to PB. (laughs) 1 Samuel 15, 3, Saul is instructed to exterminate the Amalekites, men, women, infants, sheep, and oxen. 15, 9, but Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were not willing to destroy them utterly. But everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. Then in verse 10 and 11, then the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I regret that I have made Saul king for he has turned back from following me and has not carried out my commands. And Samuel was distressed and cried out to the Lord all night. 
You know, God can break down any walls that may be in our lives that seem impossible to penetrate or take down. But it is so important for us to obey all of the instructions. Well, two years ago, I finally came to that spot where I fully committed to God. And I told him I was ready to become a youth pastor. He broke down any of the walls that were standing in my way. Now, don't get me wrong. There are still plenty of challenges to deal with. But he, God broke down the wall that I was resisting. So is there something in your life that maybe you're skipping out on? Maybe there's an area of your life that you're not giving completely to God this morning. Back to our text in verse 20 and 21. So the people shouted and the priests blew the trumpets. And when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted with a great shout and the wall fell down flat. So the people went up into the city, every man straight ahead, and they took the city. They utterly destroyed everything in the city, both man and woman, young and old, and ox and sheep and donkey, with the edge of the sword. So, unlike Saul, Joshua and the Israelites obeyed all of the instructions and won. So now the wall fell down flat. Now this wouldn't be that hard to believe if it was made out of cardboard boxes, right? Like this? Right? That wouldn't be that hard to believe. Or maybe even a wood fence like this. And we could reason in our mind, maybe it was a big gust of wind. Or maybe a small earthquake. But the fact of the matter is, it was a large stone wall of a fortified city. In fact, the walls of Jericho were nothing like we might see in castles today. It could be up to six feet thick, up to 26 feet high. And it's actually said that it was sitting on top of a 46-foot embankment, making the city almost impenetrable. But see, even back then, border walls were very effective. had to get my little plug in there but every one of us has our own battle of jericho right doing the impossible and winning this battle though is going to require more than us just getting motivated and go 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 and this power of positive thinking think harder and have more faith it's going to require god's power and here's how first you can't do it alone You could not do it alone. When God was telling me to be a youth pastor, the first thing I had to admit was I wasn't qualified and I'm not capable of doing it. And honestly, that was the easier part for me. (laughs) The hard part, however, was believing that with God leading me, anything was possible. The impossible was made possible through him. You know, the night before the Jericho battle in chapter 5, verse 15, the commander of the army of the Lord appeared to Joshua and said, take off your sandals For the place where you are standing is holy. Joshua, stop. You're in over your head. Have you ever said that? Lord, I'm in over my head. I said that 10 minutes ago when I was sitting down over there. (laughs) I'm in over my head. What am I doing? But what's your battle? What are you going through? What are you facing right now? Is it a health problem? Teens, is it a bully at school? Maybe thoughts of depression and suicide. Maybe it's a marital issue or a financial issue. Maybe it's an addiction. Are you ready to admit that you don't have what it takes? You can't do it alone. We must first recognize that this spiritual power comes from God. It's not up to us and what we can muster up. I love sailboats, so this picture really works for me. But it's not the towering sails that move the ship, but the unseen wind. You know, we are to be led by the Holy Spirit. Secondly, believe God will fight for you. I know it sounds cliche, but true faith in God will make the difference. 
The Lord's instruction to Joshua is let me fight and you follow through this crazy plan that we think humanly speaking is crazy. Walk around the city, blow the trumpets and shout. And I'm sure Joshua was probably, you know, a little hesitant at first, maybe a little skeptical, but he obeyed all every detail of the instructions and won. You know, I think so many followers of Jesus live their lives in such a way that God doesn't have to fight for them. We kind of, we don't put ourselves in situations that require God uh, to fully rely on him. And so then he kind of becomes this genie that we call upon when we're in a tight spot or in a bind or maybe crisis mode hits and then we got to call on God. We need to get back to church. But something for us all to remember, what we're not praying about, we're probably doing on our own strength. And we're going to keep trying and keep failing. But there's good news, though. See, God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So if God can fight for Joshua through his crazy, bizarre war tactics, God can fight for us through what seems like crazy tactics to us as well. But oftentimes, maybe we become lazy. Maybe we don't want to put in the effort. And then other times, maybe we're like Naaman. He was a leper who was told to dunk seven times in the river. But he thought it was something supposed to be something bigger, something grander. That was too simple. Maybe we think that as well. It's It needs to be more complicated or something bigger. But whatever the tactic is, God says to follow through with the instructions. Now, think about it for a minute. What if the Israelite army, they got a little lazy, so they marched around five days remaining completely silent. Then on the sixth day, they blew the trumpet and shouted. Do you think anything would have happened? Probably not, because they would have disobeyed God. God said seven days. So in our own lives, we must obey all the way through to the end in the instructions. Maybe you've been trying to get over a difficult situation in your life, and you don't understand why God's not answering your prayer. Or maybe you keep repeating the same sin over and over, blowing the trumpet a day early, so to speak. You know, it's easy for us to hear these stories. It's easy for us to read in the Bible and, and point out the wrongs of the Israelites. But so often we're guilty of the exact same things. Now, in all seriousness, how is this all possible? How did these fortified walls seriously fall down? Well, we find our answer in Hebrews 1130. It was by faith that the people of Israel marched around Jericho for seven days and the walls came crashing down. You see, by faith, the walls of Jericho came down, and it was by faith that I stepped into being a youth pastor. So when we're not thrilled or don't understand why God's telling us to do something in our own lives, we still need to obey and follow through with faith in his plan. Now, I don't want to mislead you into thinking this morning, uh, the reason your wall of Jericho hasn't fallen down is simply because of your lack of faith. I don't want you to misunderstand me. In fact, at the same time I was becoming a youth pastor, I was actually pursuing a career in law enforcement. And I remember like it was yesterday, I'm standing in Pastor Brent's office, and I said, Brent, I am ready to fully commit. I know God's calling me to do it. It's just getting over my insecurities, and I'm ready to fully commit and obey and become the youth pastor. I kid you not, at that very exact second, my phone is vibrating in my pocket. <laughs> so we closed up, finished up the conversation. I went back in my office and listened to my phone, my voicemail. And it was my friend Brad from the Augusta Police Department. He said, Gary, we have an open cruiser, and we want you to start as soon as possible. 
Now that showed me even more that God wanted me to be in ministry as soon as I gave in. It was the exact same second. But you see, God was waiting until the right time to put me into that position of ministry. So there may be something that God is leading you towards, and yet in the end, your Jericho may be completely different than what you think it is. Or maybe you're pursuing the wrong city. Now in closing this morning, the important part I'd really like for everybody to get this morning is to obey and remain in his will. And he will guide you to the city he wants you to take. This morning, if there's something in your life that you know God's telling you to do, just do it and follow through with his instructions completely. And maybe you're not even fully aware of what those instructions are yet. Well, then it's time to get on your knees and in his word and ask him, God, how can I further obey you? You know, if there are instructions that we're we're kind of skipping out on or stopping short, our teens are watching us and they are smart (laughs) and they're probably noticing it in our lives. So it's very important for us to live consistent lives. Same as we are when we come to this church building should be the same as we are at home and at work, consistent lives throughout. So strive to be the parent who, who won't be accused of being a hypocrite by their children and, and live a life that your kids will emulate because right now you're teaching them the patterns to live by. Pastor Bill, will you please come up and close us in prayer? I'll see you in my office right afterwards. <laughs> I take notes, not just of anything possibly that needs work, but also the good. Father in heaven, thank you for what you're doing in this church. It is just such a thrill to see the young people up here, have Pastor Gary talk to the big people in the big room. Thank you so much, Lord. We give you all the praise and all the glory for all that you're doing in the lives of everybody here. Help us all to take this to heart and take down those walls, Lord, and help us to be obedient as you do that. In your name we give thanks and praise. Amen.